everybody's coming from. Like, I don't know if you have any interest in anything that I'm about to say. Like, I could present something and you go, this only makes sense to people who are really struggling with fill in the blank. And then everybody else is like, I mean, I guess so. You know? That kind of thing, if you follow what I mean. This message, to me, makes sense. If you feel like there's something in your life that God has put before you that's impossible, and you can't do it, this is what we're talking about here. The message is titled, What Have You Got?, which is a paraphrase of two things. We're going to look at two examples in the Bible and, a, and look at a pattern that emerges from them that shows us something about when God stands, we stand before God or God stands before us or, you know, however that, you know, you want to say that. And he lays before us something impossible. And how does that interaction happen? And we see we're going to look at the story of God calling Moses from the burning bush and Jesus and his disciples feeding 5,000 people. This is weird thing to connect together, but it'll make sense. So, Father, bless this message that we would, you would speak to our hearts about us as a church and where we're going and who we are, and uh, let us glean from this what you would have us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So what do you think, you know, if God's ever put something before you that seems impossible? And through this interaction, we start to understand how God functions and realize our place in the world, that like the, the, though God wants to do important things through each and every one of us, the world does not like revolve around us, <laughs> which is a hard thing to, you know, settle in because most if we're honest a lot of uh our our deeper thoughts only make sense if the world really does revolve around us but i want you to take this i want you to make a fist i want you to make a fist and i want you to hold it tight and i want you to imagine um inside this fist or inside this you know a fist maybe maybe it'll be the wrong word but like like you grab onto something like that kind of thing what are you grabbing onto in your life what is the most precious thing to you, or what is the thing that you're most focused, like what is, you know, what do you put in there? What do you spend most of your time thinking about? Um, if I said your house is on fire, you have to run, like what is the thing you grab? Like, you know, it could be a thing, like an actual, actual things. It could be thoughts. It could be all these things. What are these most precious things that you're holding on to? That's what I want you to have in your mind as we're talking about this. And it's not the only thing that we're going to be talking about, but it's important that you think in those kind of terms as we start to ask these questions. Because you're going to see a pattern that emerges. And this message, you're, uh, some of you are, are thinking, you're like, I see where he's going with this. This is about surrender. And the answer is yes, it is about surrender. But it's going to be in a different way than you probably think, you know. Um, the pattern I discussed earlier that we see emerge from these stories is this. God stands before us. He asks us to do something impossible. We respond back appropriately, I can't do that because that's impossible or that won't work. Then God responds back and says, this is how we're going to do it. And then in both of these occasions, the thing is accomplished, it, the thing is accomplished, but it's done in the way God wants, which is through the person in question, but with God being the main actor, Okay. So this is what God is laying before us as a church and as individuals. So let's look at Moses and then the disciples, and then we'll talk about a couple of things. So in Exodus 3 and 4, you see a story of, of God encountering Moses in a burning bush. A little backstory here. The Israelites are in slavery. Moses is in a key position to maybe help with that. Ends up killing a guy, has to run off. Now he's a shepherd. He's hiding. 
The Israelites are enslaved by the Egyptians. They ended up there because Joseph went there during the famine hundreds of years ago. People forgot about all that, so they enslaved them. It's a bad situation. Moses doesn't like it, but he runs off because he's killed a guy and he's got to hide. And while he's shepherding and whatnot, he encounters God in a burning bush, which is weird. And he even says, that's weird. I need to go look at that. And as he walks up to it, God speaks to him from the bush and says, yo, <laughs> take off your shoes. This is a, a holy place. And you need to, or he calls to Moses. Moses says, here I am. Like he knows it's God calling to him, you know. Then he's like, you need to take your shoes off because we're about to have, this is serious and it's holy. And he does. Then he has this interaction with God. And you can see it starting. Um, he says, look. God says to him, I understand what's going on at a very deep level. I know what's happening with Israelites, my people, and I'm going to set them free. And I have decided that you're going to be the one that does it. <laughs> and he says it like this, Exodus 3, 9. God is talking here. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. That's a big deal. And it's impossible. Keep in mind, he's already running off because he killed a guy and he had to hide. So that's the person that God is talking to right now. So Moses says back in verse 11, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I'll be with you. <laughs> and this will be a sign to you that I've sent you. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship me on this mountain. And Moses says again, But suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? What shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And that's what, that's what you are to tell that This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me. And then he keeps going on about, you know, other details of what's going to happen and everything like that. And then Moses again resists. And you can see in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, What if they don't believe me or listen to me or say the Lord did not appear to you? Which is a valid, I mean, keep, you're, he's talking to God, but we pray and talk to God very similarly, I think. What if they don't believe me? That's, a, like, that's very valid, you know. And they're going to say, the Lord did not appear to you. So this is where the Lord responds to him, with this kind of the core of what we're going to talk about. Verse 2, the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? Or say, what, what, do you, what do you got there, you know. And then Moses says, it's a staff. And the Lord says, throw it on the ground. And Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. And the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and turned it back into a staff in his hand. And he said, this is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And so and then he continues. He does a couple more miraculous things where he sticks his hand in his coat and it comes out and it's like covered in disease and leprosy and puts it back in. And it's out clean again. And then. So it's about pouring water and it turning into blood. And, it, and he's already told him about plagues and things that are going to happen. He's like, I got a plan. I just need you to do it, you know. But I want to take a look at this thing right here. Where he says, what is that in your hand? And uh, we'll talk more about this later. But I, I, I want you to think about what I was talking about earlier. You have a fist and you have something in there. And then God is asking you to do something that you see. This is not related at all to this thing that I have thinking here, you know. Even like, I want to live for God. I definitely want to do that. I want to do what God has called me to do. And I have my thing here. Things, whatever. They have no relations. Like, this is, I can do both. <laughs> it's totally fine. I am not in, this is not sinful. 
over here. This is not like something bad necessarily. Like uh, I have a really poor image of myself or I hate all these people. Like it's not like necessarily that. This could be something quite good, quite right. I mean, we talk about he's shepherding right now. This is a shepherd's staff. Jesus is the good shepherd. Like these are not, it's not inherently bad. You see what I'm saying? So we just go, this is my staff. <laughs> and God's like, throw it on the ground. I'm going to use that. Like, I'll, so what I want you to see from this right now is how that is seemingly very random in one sense. Like in one sense, God obviously knows he's a shepherd, obviously knows he has a stick. But I think that God could go, what is that right there? And he'd go, a rock. And then the rock would turn into a snake. Or he'd go, what is that right there? A stick. A stick, you know, because this is a stick. But he just happens to go, what is that thing in your hand? What do you have there? And he goes, a staff. He's like, all right, and we'll use this. And, and you see that this later actually, in fact, does happen. Like, he goes before the Egyptians, and the first, like, one of the first things they do is, like, to prove that God has sent me, I'm going to do what he said. Like, we throw our stick down, and there it turned into a snake. Now, you and I would go, that's got my attention. The funny thing is, Pharaoh's like, <laughs> we got this. We can do this thing. Like, my guy's my magician people do this sort of thing. And then they come out, and they throw their sticks down, and they also turn into snakes. Now, we would be like, hold on, hold on. <laughs> like, what is happening with this interaction? Like, I didn't foresee that part. Like, I would think them, like, last week, we talked about, this is actually, I will give, this is a, a nod. It's a little rabbit trail, but I'll, this is a nod to my cousin who texted me after the message last week. He said, hey, I thought of something. And I was like, that's actually a good point. And it ties into this, so I will share it. You and I might think, like the prophets of Baal, oh, they'll throw their sticks down and they'll just stay sticks. But they didn't. In the, they turned into snakes. That's crazy. Now, the end of this part of this story is that God's snake ate all their snakes. So God won in the whole thing. But the fact is, the fact remains in this story, there's people turning sticks into snakes. And it's one thing if God decides, I want to turn sticks into snakes. You're like, okay, I guess you're God, you could do that. But then these guys are not God. These are just like some magician people over here. And let's leave out for now the like, well, maybe it was just a snake that was really rigid and they threw it. And you're like, let's, let's assume for the sake of the text that this is a, a spiritual thing that's going on that's beyond our, you know, physical understanding. It's not simply explained by perception. There's a stick that's being turned into a snake by a magician. Because the Pharaoh's like, I'm not worried about your stick snake thing that God sent you with. The thing God sent you with, the thing in your hand God sent you with to use, I'm not impressed by that. We've all got those, you know. And then they throw down and they do it. Now, last week we talked about Elijah and the prophets of Baal and in confronting them to this thing about like, hey, let's get the thing. We'll put the, you know, the, the two altars and we'll pray for the fire. And they go, good plan. You don't say good plan if you don't think that'll work. See what I'm saying? These kind of guys do this kind of stuff. They go, we got the stick snake thing. We do that. You know, it's outside of our, like, way of thinking. But for them, this is what we do. These prophets of Baal probably go, we've done that before. <laughs> you know what I mean? But just like this, when God challenges in an arena like this, the world thinks they can do it. And it looks an awful lot like they can, but next time the prophets of Baal come, the fire shut off because God's like, not only does your thing not work, I can just stop it if I want. You know, God could have said, I'm going to make these guys throw their sticks down and they don't show up as snakes because he can just do that. You know, but he lets them do it. But he, 
in Elijah's case, only his fire comes down and it consumes the whole thing, which wasn't even necessarily part of the deal. And in this other one, the snakes come and his eats all there. So we've gotten a little down the rabbit trail. But you see what I'm trying to say is that the world likes to imitate. Let's move on to the next story and then we'll connect them together. Mark 6, 34 through 44. And you see in this sort of, I'm just going to paraphrase really quick. People are following Jesus because he's the words of life and all this sort of thing. And the crowds, they're like, let's get away from these guys. But they can see them in the boat. So they kind of like, hey, we see where they're going. Let's just walk around the shore. The Sea of Galilee is like a really, really big lake. So it's not like the Mediterranean Sea. Like you can see all the way around it most of the time. So when you get in a boat to like get away from people, they can see you. <laughs> you see? And they can see kind of where you're going. So they're like, we'll run ahead and beat them there. And then when they get there, they're like, oh, man, there's thousands of people here. And then Jesus is like, has mercy on them because they need him, and he knows that. So it's one of those examples where he's like, I'm just going to, let's go for it. So he's preaching, he's teaching, he's probably healing people, whatever, this thing is happening. It gets late in the day, and the disciples say, um, they say this to Jesus, which is a legitimate concern. Again, here we are. Nothing illegitimate about any of these interactions these people are having with God. They say, hey, you know, Jesus, this is a remote place, and it's already very late. Send these people away so they can get, go to their surrounding countryside and villages or whatever and buy themselves something to eat. Jesus answers, you give them something to eat. And they go, what, would you say we brought it in the boat? I mean, like, like <laughs> there's like 5,000 people here, you know. And, and he says, um, well, they say back specifically, like, that would take more than half a year's wages. That's a shout out to us. And uh, <laughs> oh, that was so stupid. Um, and, he, and then they're like, that's just ridiculous. And then Jesus says back to them the very same thing that he says to Moses in a way. Well, what do you have? How many loaves do you have? And so they go around and they go, well, we've got five and two fish. Like, we, like, so it'd be like me having, like, we got two jelly beans. They're like, well, give some to everyone in this room. And you're like, what? You know, you mean whole jelly beans? Yeah, you know. And so the thing about this is you need to, like, we, this interaction that Moses has, this interaction the disciples have is very much how we pray with God and very much how God's perspective is continually. He says, He's like, Moses, I want you to go do this thing. It's obviously a good idea because I thought of it, and I've got it and all. You see? We're like, yeah, but have you considered these details that I am so obviously seeing, you know, you seem to be missing to you, you know? They're like, we don't have the money for this. Well, like, well what do you do? What do you have? You know, do you have a stick? Or do you have, you know, and they go, well, we got a few loaves. And, and what ends up happening is Jesus, they sits them down. Jesus blesses it, and he hands it to them. He says, like, take it out and divide it up and give it to them. And they, not only does everybody eat, they pick up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of fish and bread. And, there was a, and the number of men was 5,000, which means there was probably 5,000 women, and there was probably some thousand children. So that's like a lot of people. That's a lot of people. So they feed kind of a stadium's worth of folks or something, you know, at least a large auditorium's worth of people with Five pieces of bread and two fish. It's not possible. And then you have basketfuls left over. So, again, this is a completely miraculous thing that just only God can do. But God acts like it's normal. We act like that's crazy. Or I don't know, like, I haven't been, like, I don't consider that an option, you know. I don't go, well, since we got this bread thing here, you know. And so, 
a couple things to think about this. Like, is are these kinds of activities one-offs because, you know, this is Jesus and Moses and this kind of thing that we're talking about? And I go, I don't think that's a good way to look at this because, um, especially for us, in John 14, Jesus, John 14, 12 to 14, Jesus, this is Jesus now saying, he's like, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father and, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So the idea that we're cut out from this, I just think is just wrong. So, you know, God is calling us to do impossible things. That's how he operates. That's why he does what he does. The other thing is, it's kind of interesting because this is Mark 6. The same thing happens again two chapters later in Mark 8, but it's just 4,000 people. And I kind of think they kind of get it, you know. Like the next time around, they're like, hey, you know, you want to do that thing? And they do it again, you know, and it works again, you know. And it's also, this happens to Elisha, the same exact thing in 2 Kings. He's like, hey, I'll just pray over this bread and we'll just serve it to everybody. So this isn't even like a one-off thing in the Bible, you know. And so we should be looking for it. my main thing isn't just that you would say, well, okay, fine, then whatever I do, I'll just, you know, whatever, I'll be crazy all over the place, and hopefully God will sort it out. That's not really what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is opening our mind to be able to interact with God in the kind of way that he wants us to, which is to expect this type of thing, and maybe stop arguing with him. <laughs> it would be most of what I would be thinking about, because God can use anything for a miracle. That's the main point of this. What is the thing, what, what do you have? And you go, well, this has nothing to do with that. Like, I see the impossible thing that you have in front of me, God. I see that. I know exactly what that is. This over here has nothing to do with that. That, I, I think, is also, again, another limited thinking, because I'm not going to say necessarily that it has to, but God can absolutely use anything for a miracle, And when I say, when you look at the disciples, I think that what you see here is this. They're in a situation, like we are, where you have a small amount of something that's needed and way too many people needing it. We tend to kind of, at that point, hold it tighter, protect it. I don't want to tell everybody that we got a couple, you know, everybody's really hungry. We've got just five loaves and two fish over here. That's enough for a couple of us, so I'm going to tell you, and you know, but don't tell anybody else. You know, this kind of attitude, as if that's how we should handle things when God's involved. What we see with this is when he's like, what do you have? They go, well, we got this, 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 this amount that will do nothing. That's what we have. He's like... He's saying, do this impossible thing. Like, we don't have the money for this. We can't even go buy this stuff. Well, what do you have? We have enough to do nothing. That's what we have. And he's like, that's great. Let's use that. And so that's the thing. And then when you have Moses, he's saying, like, what's in your hand there? And he's like, this is a staff. And I think in a way, and I don't want to push too much on this, but I think the staff right now is representing his profession. It's a tool. It's not precious to him in the same way that maybe food was and this other thing. But in a way, this is what he's doing. This is, I, I've left this other situation that I need to get away from, which I think you're calling me back to. I've got something going over here that's working. I can make money doing this. I've got a wife now. We're good. You know, I'm not asking for this. I've got something I'm doing. It's, and as a, as a shepherd, this is his ability to, to do his job, to protect himself, 
and all these kinds of things. And I think for us, this can represent a safe place. Like, I hear what you're saying, God. I'd rather just stay a shepherd right now. You see? That, I think, happens a lot between us. God's saying, what's that in your hand? You go, everything that makes me feel safe. And he says, throw that on the ground. And not only when he throws it on the ground, it turns into a snake. And it says he ran from it. So sometimes the first experience with trusting God is he's like, take everything that makes you feel safe and throw it on the ground. And then it turns into a snake, which is something you're scared of, and you run from it. And the gods, that's when God's next instruction comes. He says, take it by the tail, and it turns back into a staff. Again, all this you could push too far probably with the imagery. But the point is, God is now instructing how you pick it up and how you interact with it from this point forward. So, anyway, the, the funny thing is, this stuff is hard. And we like to go, oh, okay, good, I would have done the, the bread thing. But you got to be the guy now that he says, get everybody to sit down. I'll pray for these nothing. And then you go serve it to everybody. So you're going to be the guy say, okay, you know, here you have some, you have some, you have some. All right, I'm done. You know, you tell me, you know. That's a hard thing to do. Like, I'm going to stand in front of a lot of people now and do something that I know will not work. And Moses, this is the same thing, because after the thing we just talked about, where he literally saw the stick turn into a snake, back into a stick, hand thing, you know, you know he still says, hey, you know, um, God, I still, he resists a couple more times. He says in Exodus 4.10, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. So, you know, I'm not the guy to go talk, right? You know, and then God's like, I made your like, I make people talk. Like, what are you talking about, you know? And then my favorite, which, see if you can relate to this, Exodus 4.13. Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. I was like, I don't have any other good ideas of why this won't work. <laughs> but I'd still rather not. And then it says God was a little mad, but he, he you know, they work it out, obviously. You know, Moses ends up, you know, Moses. And like Elijah from last week at the Mount of Transfiguration, there we go. You know what I mean? So it works out in the end. But the point is we're working it out with God the whole time. And we tend to say, like, God, you know, I get it. Okay, fine. Yes. Yes, I get how this is good. Yes, I get how we could do this. Yes, I get, I get it. But can you just send somebody else? So think again about the fist. I was, I was thinking this week, I'm going to, this is a shift of gears, because there's two things that we need to start talking about. Um, one of them is this, uh, that we're going to start emphasizing more the prayer ministry of the church here. And what I mean by that is at the end of the service, we're going to have teams of people available starting today. We're going to have some people come forward, and they're going to be available to pray for you and pray with you. And they're going to be a, a team of people that are trained, and we're going to be building it up over time. And Nancy, I'm going to invite you to come forward today when we do that and at the end to pray for people because this is important. You know, the altar is a place where there's an exchange with God. And this, we call this the altar, and it's referential to the altar and the temple 
or in the tabernacle, and it's a place of sacrifice, it's a place of worship, it's an interaction point with God where we lay things before him, he blesses things, there's a lot of interaction that can happen there, and one of the things is we need to, it's like the Bible talks about in the New Testament of us laying on of hands, and a lot of the ministry that happens with that. Sometimes when God speaks to your heart, you need to respond to it, and a way to respond is not just give a mental assent. So like even the words that say like, those who believe in the name, it's not just saying, oh, I get this and I understand it. I have cognitive understanding of what God is saying and who Jesus is, and it will impact my life zero. That's not the thing that God's talking about. The believe means to like build your life upon, like it's load-bearing, that if this doesn't work, the whole thing falls apart. You see what I'm saying? And so our response needs to be meaningful. And so what I want to say, and this is not exactly part of the message, it's just something that we're doing, so we need to take time to talk about it, is that there's going to be people up here from now on at the end of the service that you can come pray with. They'll pray with you, and they'll be trained to do so, and we're going to be working into that. But we're going to go ahead and start today. And they're going to have a name tag on that says prayer team. And I want you to take advantage of that because these are gifted people that God has gifted to do this kind of ministry, and it will be impactful on your life. And today's message is a good reason to start with this because we have this fist. You have this thing in your fist. You have this thing that you might not even know what's in there. You held it so tight, you've forgotten. Maybe it's too painful. You know, we don't talk about that. You see? For some of us, it can just be simple things that are easy to relate to, like my car. And that can still be deep. Like, I'm not going to say that isn't. But for some people, it's deep wounding. You say, we don't talk about that. And I will, I put that one here, you know. And I'll do anything for God, but I am not (laughs) going here with this. (laughs) I can't do that. And I was like, what's that you got there? You know, and we like to do that. I'm fine. And he's saying, I need to see what that is. I want you to throw that on the ground. So in, what it ends up doing is like, for some of us, the worst, some of the worst things that have happened to us end up acting like, we act like they're the most precious things we have. And what God is saying is this the same. It doesn't matter if this was, some, you've been abused by somebody and you can't talk about that anymore. Or I can't be okay in my life if I don't have this type of comfort, whatever it is. The result and the, the surrender that God's asking for is the exact same. I want you to throw that on the ground. I want you to see what I'm going to do with it. Sometimes he has you pick it back up if it isn't bad. Sometimes he doesn't. And I thought this week I'm going to share, this is a, like I said, it's a shift of gears, but you just need to know. I was praying this week because I said, God, what, what am I missing? Like, what, like, what have, have I lost something? I'm trying to figure out, like, church is weird or like, you know, like with the COVID stuff, not like us necessarily, but you know, what, what are we supposed to be doing? You know, and I heard a voice in my head, a voice come back to my head, and it was memories of things, and it was Gary Larson. Many of you remember Gary Larson, um, and he died in a motorcycle accident five years ago. He died in a motorcycle accident five years ago this week. He died in a motorcycle accident five years ago to the day from when I had this, this prayer experience. I didn't know that. I obviously remember it happening. I didn't know any of this timing. I was praying, and I was like, God, 
<laughs> what are we missing? What are we missing in this whole thing? And I felt, I heard Gary's voice in my head. And what it was was just remembering the kind of things. Because like Nancy mentioned, we would go minister in these prisons. And he would call out. It's like Jesus leaves the 99 sheep to go after the one. He's coming for you. He's coming for every single one of us. And he not only understood that, that like everybody, we're all the, 90, the 100th sheep. We're all that. And he's also calling to everyone that way. And he could tell everybody that in a way that really understood. And I felt like God said, he understood my heart for the least of those among us. Those that so many of us, we just forget. And he's like, that's what you need to rediscover. And in so doing, I see in this fist thing, these deep, deep things, whatever they are, like they could be as silly as just an, an actual object or as important as our security or whatever. Psalm 24 says this. We hold these things so tight. Okay, guys. And God is wanting us to open them. 24, Psalm 24, lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the king of glory. These blockages we put in our life to prevent our harm or to prevent our insecurity, whatever it is, God's saying, Open these doors that the king of glory may come in. And then as the king in Revelation 3, 7, and 8, these are the words of him who is holy and true. That's God who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. So all of this together is, is this message that the thing, we need to surrender to God at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. And the things that we're not surrendering vary so much from each and every one of us that they could be from seemingly trite to the deepest wounds that we've ever experienced. And Jesus is wanting to take all of those things and give back to us his love and the peace and his, his easy yoke and burden and all that kind of thing. But it is very difficult, and we tend to resist. Please send someone else, we say. Please send someone else. But I want to show you this video clip. This is actually a recording, I believe, of the last prison ministry that we went to with Gary. And he was sharing some of his heart before he called people to the altar. Like I was saying, he's calling you, and I'm not, this is not, you know, hear through Gary's words, the call to come and do some business with God. And I'm going to invite during this video for the prayer team people to go ahead and get up here and get ready. And then Gary in this video makes reference to a song that I wrote called Is This Not the Christ? So we're going to play that at the end as well to kind of go with it. And during this time, we're going to have ministry time. And if you need to be prayed for, I want to encourage you to come forward and, do, and be prayed for because we all need to be prayed for. If you, if you understand what I'm saying, you're all the hundredth sheep. I'm the hundredth sheep. But listen to Gary's heart as he explains this. So, Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts through this video from this man that loved you so much. And let us experience um, in our hearts your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus healed me. I once was blind. 
now I see. I know what it's like to go totally blind in one eye. I just had one sliver left. And the Lord totally restored my sight. I'm coming off of uh, chemotherapy for my second cancer treatment. I had a 35-pound cancer pulled out of me. The doctor said I was a living testimony. Eleven years later, my blood went bad. It started all over again, and I went through treatment. But you know what? I never missed a beat. I couldn't come in here, but I could work out there and support my family. There's something the Lord's doing in here tonight, and I just want to be obedient to His Spirit. And I think, it's, I think it's time for ministry time. And I know that there's a song that you've written, Is This Not the Christ? You're going to play it? He said he's going to play it. Brian wrote that song, and I walked up to him one day, and I said, Brian, you don't know. You don't know what you wrote. You got something that's going to reach inside of people and it's going to cement something from the Holy Spirit. And it's going to touch and it's going to drive them from darkness to light. And this song about the woman at the well who was torn from the inside, had many relationships, and Jesus knew it. He singled her out and he made sure that he was by himself. And while he was by himself, he spoke to her many things. And he told her the truth. And there was layers upon layers upon layers that came off of this lady. Grave cloths came off. They unrolled bit by bit. That's what God's going to do in here tonight. He's going to take your grave cloths off. See, when Lazarus was raised out of the tomb, there was life in him, but there was death all around him. And you're in a place where there's death all around you. And now it's time to take the death off. It's time to roll the grave cloths off. See, Jesus told the body, take the grave cloths off. Take them off. But when Jesus raised from the dead, he took his own off. He folded his own napkin. He put it on the side, and he walked out of the tomb. Didn't nobody need to help him get his grave cloth off. His grave cloth came off by himself. And tonight, I said tonight, Jesus is going to take the grave cloths off of you. I don't think you heard me in this place. I said tonight, Jesus is going to take the grave cloths off of you. It's time to have a bonfire in here tonight. It's time to throw them in and let the Holy Ghost burn up your grave cloths, burn up your past, bring you up out of the dead places that you've been in, bring you to life.
God's going to do something amazing in your heart. Mark it down. Write it down. Tonight, Jesus is going to move in. Tonight, Jesus is going to take over. Tonight, Jesus is going to have your life. Tonight. Have you been in death too long? Are you tired of it? Are you sick of it? Jesus went after the hundredth sheep. That's why I got this shirt on tonight. Because I was the hundredth. He left the ninety-nine and he went to the one. He heard the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. And he came to me and he set me free. And he's going to set you free tonight. And chains are going to fall off of here tonight. Broken hearts are going to be healed in this place tonight. God's going to move in this place and he's going to shake the gates of this prison tonight. But I can't give this altar call tonight. So come forward if you need to experience the grace of God.